Amen. Good morning, everybody. Oh, it's that kind of morning, huh? Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's good to know. All right. Um, this is your first time being here at East. Man, we are pumped that you are here. And we're so excited that you're here. Um, in the back of the seat in front of you is what we call our Connect card. And it's not just for you. It's also for our, our home folks to let us know about prayer requests and let us know about anything that's going on. But uh, that's a special card for you today if this is your first time worshiping with us. Um, because uh, we have a gift that we want to give you today. Uh, Lindsay Lane East, nice t-shirt. Not like a little sorry, you know, backwoods shirt. This is a quality, quality shirt. And so we're willing to give that to you today just to thank you for being here. So if, if you'll fill out that card in the back of the seat with as much information as you feel comfortable with, drop it by our Next Steps area on your way out today. Um, we would love to give you that shirt. And all we're going to do with your information is just follow up with you and see if there's any way we can pray for you and see if there's anything we can do for you this week. I promise you uh, it'll be very, very simple. If you're watching online as well, uh, the best way for you to do that is to, tech, is to click on the link in the description of this video to our Connect card. Fill it out and let us know uh, that you're here and watch one with us and we'll follow up with you as well and see if there's any way that we can minister to you. Um, I proposed to my wife in March of 2008, right? Yeah, I think that's what it was. March of 2008. Um, I spent a lot of time uh, praying and uh, scared to death, right? Um, whether I was ready at 22 years old, and I wasn't, but... I'm 34 now, and I don't think I'm. I don't. I still think I'm, I'm not ready to be a good dad, a good husband. But I remember proposing. Uh, I, I bought the ring. I carried her mom and my sister, or my mom and my sister. We went to the jewelry store because I'm not dumb. I knew I would mess that up, and so we looked at a lot of rings, and uh, some of them were beautiful, but there was a price tag on those that was not possible. Okay, just be honest here. Okay. But I finally found the ring that was a good balance of what I thought was the most beautiful ring in the place. But for some reason, they were asking way much less money for it. So I bought that ring. It was $3. It's the best deal. <laughs> anyway, I bought the ring, and, uh, and it is beautiful. You can check it out when you leave. Um, but I, but I, I bought that ring. I was so, I was so scared to death, right? Um, most expensive thing I'd ever bought in my life. Um, and, and we met, uh, at her parents' house and we drove back to our favorite spot on her parents' land, which is just a really, really beautiful spot with a creek that runs around it. And, uh, I got down on one knee and I proposed and asked her to marry me and, uh, she said yes. So big shocker there. Um, however, I got to thinking, um, in a lot of our story today, a little, just a little teaser, but, um, I got to thinking, what if I had said, awesome, thank you, but not right now though, like maybe five years down the road. And so I started playing that little game with me. How, how, how good am I, right? Like how long would Kelly have, have put up with me before she let me get married? Because we waited about a year, about a year-long engagement. Some of y'all have had longer engagements or some of you had a lot shorter. But I remember, I just played that game this week. I thought, okay, maybe could we get to 25 years, right? Could, could she, would she have waited 25 years to marry me? The answer is no. I'm a goofy-looking dude from Ardmore with shaggy hair back then, right? Like, there was no way she was going to marry me. Now, she probably would have waited 25 years for Justin Timberlake from NSYNC. Not Justin Timberlake now, Justin Timberlake from NSYNC. You know what I'm talking about? She would have waited 25 years for that, no doubt. But I was not good enough. Here's the thing. We're willing to wait, right? We're willing to wait on something, but the thing we're waiting for must be greater than the period of time that we're waiting 
And that's the point that we're going to see in the story today. As we look at the story of Abram, um, who later gets his name changed to Abraham, and forewarning, I'm going to say both names at different times and just know that I'm talking about the same guy. Um, but the next portion of story that we're going to look at, we're talking about the idea of the covenants in the Old Testament. And we see God reach down to this dude named Abram. And we see him make a covenant with him. But it's 25 years, 25 years before Abram sees even a hint of that promise. But he's willing to do it because what he's waiting for is greater than the time period. So I want to begin in Genesis chapter 12. If you brought a Bible with you, um, I would encourage you to open it up to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so it'll be pretty quick to get there. We'll have slides on the screen as well. But uh, I'm going to read the first four verses of Genesis 12, and then I'm going to pray. We're going to come back and talk about it. Beginning in verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot, Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that uh, we have your word. Um, God, that uh, teaches us who you are. God, more than it shows us how to live, it teaches us who you are. It shows us the love that you have for mankind, the way that you, God, um, that you've continued to just bear with mankind as we blow everything, um, every plan that you seem to have, God. We just mess it up. But God, you continue to deal with us and, and put up with us, and we're thankful for that, God. I pray that today, as we study this passage and so many others, God, I pray that, um, that you're, you are glorified, and God, that we learn about you. And today, God, we pray that you teach us to know you and that you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Abraham's story uh, begins in chapter 12, and it goes all the way until chapter 25 when we see him um, actually pass away. But our goal is not, as you might guess, to dive into every detail of that. But what we are going to look at is about 11 of those chapters to see the overarching story that's going on. There's this covenant that God made with Abram, and we're going to talk about why it's so formative, okay? I said in an email, if you get my newsletter emails, if you don't, talk to me after, fill out the card in the back of the seat in front of you, and let us know that in the comments. But um, I don't, I don't, uh, I sent an email out uh, yesterday, and I said in there that my sermon this week was the most formative sermon that you, I could preach. And after today, you're probably going to think I'm crazy. But I do believe that the story of Abraham and this conversation, the reason why it's so formative is that every one of the New Testament authors had this, this story was implanted in their mind and they wrote out of it, right? The story of Abraham, is, 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 it was literally shaped their entire theology. And my argument is that if we're going to be Christians, true believers in Christ, who don't just read the New Testament, but read both old and new, we've got to allow it to shape ours as well. We need to understand the historicity of what's going on, and we need to read the New Testament with clarity. Um, but the only way we can do that is if we understand this, what's going on with God's covenant with Abraham. So I promise you, pay attention to that. It's going to be a lot of information, but it'll be fun. I promise you. I'll just try to make dumb faces every once in a while and make you laugh, okay? Number one, if you're taking notes, uh, we're going to just kind of lay out a, a, an outline because it helps me stay on track. 
Uh, number one, the promise. We see the promise made. We see the promise made. All right. The, the few verses that I showed you, Genesis uh, 12, 1 through 4, there's a ton of stuff in there. And you and I can actually breeze over it and we can go, oh, yeah, Abraham, he was a he was a godly man. So, of course, when God says, leave your family and go where I'm telling you, he would do it. Right. Duh. But what we need to recognize is that we're bringing to the text things that aren't necessarily there because we know how Abraham winds up. But what we don't we got to begin where Abram actually was. This is supposed to blow our minds, the fact that Abram listens to God because God told him to leave his land. Abraham was from a place called Ur which probably means zilch to you, because it does to me. Um, I can't, like, I struggle to, <laughs> full transparency, I'm directionally ignorant, okay? Uh, what do you call that? What's the term? Not directionally. What do you, there's like a funny term. Uh, anyway, all right, I have to have GPS to get everywhere, okay? I can go to, like, family's houses. I can go to, I know my favorite restaurants. I can get there. Other than that, GPS all day, okay? So an ancient map, is definitely way over my head. And so, but when, when you do the research and you look at Ur, okay, when you look at Ur, Ur was, was uh, from a place that was in their day, in this day, it was a place called Babylonia, which is a longer form of the word Babylon, which is a longer form of the word Babel. And if you're reading the Bible from beginning to end, like it's written to do, Genesis especially, when you're reading Genesis 1 through 12, and you get, right before we get to hear about Abraham, something's happened in Genesis 11. The people that God created, instead of, God told them two things. He said, spread throughout the earth and make my name great. Instead, they've gathered at Babel. They've gathered instead of spreading. And instead of making God's name great, they've made their name great. And they built this tower. And they literally said, we're going to build this tower so that everyone will know how awesome we are. And so, Abraham is from the place that through the rest of the Bible becomes a slang term for rebellion against God. Babel and Babylon get used all throughout the rest of the Bible as a description of rebellion against God. That's where this godly man that you and I think is just awesome and would never do anything wrong. This is where he's from. He's from Babel. And so he may not have even heard who God is. We assume things in the story that are not necessarily there. This is supposed to have a bite to it. So God calls him to leave Ur. That's a big important thing. The second thing he called him to do was to leave his relatives. Now, I know many of you don't live anywhere near your relatives, and you think that is the best thing in the world. <laughs> for whatever reason, maybe God moved you from relatives uh, for work, or maybe, God, uh, maybe you moved to get away from difficult situations, whatever the case, okay? I'm not here to judge, but what I need you to understand is that moving away from your relatives is a relatively new idea, right? Throughout most of human history, we didn't leave our family. We stayed with them, right? Your family unit just continued to grow, and as people died off, it would just flex back and forth. You didn't leave your family back then. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's what's going on. So for, for God to come to Abram and say, Leave your land and your family and your workers and all the livestock, everything you've worked hard for, everything that your family has built to this point, just leave it and go to where I want you to do, where I want you to go. That would have been very difficult for Abram. The third thing God said, God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a big family. God told a 75-year-old childless man that he was going to make him into a big family. 
It's not a great start. Can we all admit that? 75-year-old dude. 75 years old, and God said, man, you're going to, have a, you're going to be in a big family. Um, and I know some of you make the case, weren't we living a lot longer back then? Like, wasn't, wasn't that a thing? But that's a, this was still a bold step out. That's why we continue to hear God, uh, Abram's ages at each step of the way, and the author talks about how this is nuts. Abram falls down, almost passes out later in the story and laughs because God's told him he's going to have a kid, okay? So Abram was from Babylon and may have actually been worshiping other gods at the time God spoke to him. It would have been insane for him to leave his family land and the, the treat that God was holding out in front of him was probably, it seemed very rotten. <laughs> like the, the, the apple that God was holding out that you're going to have a family seemed totally out of the picture. Yet when God called him to leave, what does verse say? Verse four say, Abram went. So Abram went. And there is something going on here that you and I can't fully grasp yet. If you're reading this story with fresh eyes, as I tried to this week, you've got to ask the question, what in the world is Abram experiencing to actually do what this crazy command asked him to do? Why in the world would he do it? Well, I'm not going to tell you yet, because then the sermon would be over. So I'm going to stretch it out a little longer, okay? Jot this down in your notes uh, if you're taking them as well, because this will be important for you as you read the rest of the Bible. Genesis 12, God gives him a threefold promise. God promises him a big family. God promises him land. And he says that your family and your, the nation that comes from you will be an international blessing, a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And what we see through the rest of the Bible is that the rest of the Bible is centered on these three ideas. So back in our storyline, several years pass and we see God take this threefold promise that seemed random and strange and, and difficult to believe and he actually doubles down on it a little bit. Uh, he makes an official covenant with Abram. So if you remember from, if you're here last week, I talked about a covenant. Remember a covenant is a, it was an official agreement between two parties. We talked about like a handshake. Y'all remember that? One party says, I'm going to do this. And the other party says, well, if you do that, then I'm going to do this. And it's agreement. I'll give you the promise. I'm promising you something if you do your part. Right. And that's what we see God do with Abram. Abram, uh, God and Abram make a covenant together. Um, I closed my notes, which was terrible. Um, so flip over to Genesis 15. Let's take a look at it. Uh, this is verse nine, beginning verse nine. Genesis 15 uh, God said to Abram, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And so he brought all these to them, to him. He brought all these to God. Abram cut them in half and laid the pieces opposite each other. Everything except the birds. So this is a gross image, right? Like, go get these very large animals Cut them in half. I don't even know how you... Like, without a buzz saw, that's hard. Right? Like, I could do it with a sawzall, but, like, that's, this is a difficult... But cut them in half, and, lay, and he laid the pieces opposite each other. Now, that may sound really gross, but this is actually a very common practice in the ancient world. It's called cutting a covenant. This is literally the, the covenant ceremony that for, I mean, just forever... 
mankind has been doing for generations and generations. And you can Google that later after the service is over. Um, But they would cut these animals. They would lay them in half and lay them opposite each other with a little walkway in between. And both parties would then walk in the middle of these dead animals. Right? Both parties would walk through there. The point was, as you walk through and you're getting blood on your sandals and on the bottom of your robe, that you're reminded that if I don't keep my part of the handshake, this is what I deserve. Right? That was the reminder. And it's, it's dark and it's difficult, but this is what was going on. And, uh, and I'm just going to tell you, there's nothing I hate worse than all the signatures that come along with buying a house. Right? Uh, I bought three houses in my lifetime, not at the same time, all separate. Um, never owned more than one house at a time. Uh, but I, we bought three houses, and I'm just going to tell you, um, I could get taken on something like that because about the fifth signature, I'm done listening to what I'm signing, and I'm just putting my name down. Y'all can judge me if you want for that, but I hate it. I'm just like, I trust you. Don't rake me over the coals. Let me just sign my name, right? Um, imagine if you're... <laughs> Imagine if your mortgage company asked you to walk through that animal. Like, that would be, okay. I don't feel as bad about signing paper. Uh, looking at this, okay? Praise the Lord. Remax is thinking about it, I think. Um, but, but Abraham has laid out the animals. But the Bible actually tells us that Abraham falls asleep waiting on God. Okay, and it was a deep sleep. This is verse 17 and 18. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So check this out. Who walked through the bodies? Let me ask it a different way. Who didn't walk through the bodies? Abram. Abram didn't walk through the bodies of the covenant ceremony. He was still either asleep or half sleepy and watching this floating fire pot and flaming torch pass through. So Abram doesn't pass through the bodies, but God does. The, uh, the author seems to make it clear in the text that the pot and the torch represent God passing through the body. So the question is, what in the world does that mean? What is the significance that God passes through twice, essentially, on behalf of Abram and himself? God is saying, and this is, this is intense and it's a little weird to think about, but God is saying, if I don't hold up my end of the handshake, I deserve this. I deserve death. Now we know God's spirit, God can't die. But anyway, just bear with me. God says, I, I, I'm making this covenant and I'm for real about it. And I would deserve death if I were to break it. And then he, but then he, he also he passed through it on behalf of Abram, right? And he's also saying that if Abram and his descendants don't hold up their end of the handshake, which he hasn't even given to him yet, but that's coming a little bit later, I will taste death as well. Okay? Now, let me ask you. Do you see the gospel in that? Right? We see a little bit later... Jesus come on the scene, right? Why does Jesus give up his life? Because mankind had broken the covenant with God. Right? We, had, we, hadn't, we hadn't done what God had called us to do. We couldn't live the life that God had called us to live. And God himself gives up his life 
Right? So we see in this covenant, this covenant with Abraham, we're already getting a little taste, a little foreshadowing, if you will, to what is going to come with Jesus later on on earth as he gives up his life. But even before Christ comes, we can see the mercy of God towards these people. Um, as you read through the rest of the Old Testament, you see a group of people. These, they're called Israelites is what they become known as. But this is Abraham's family. And uh, in all honesty, they're a family of punks. Not like They're just punks who don't listen to God. They do everything but listen to God. They continue to turn their back on the things he's called them to do. But yet God continues to bear with them. He continues to deal with them. And that's just what we talked about last week. God continues to bear with mankind. But now there's a particular family that he's bearing with. And we've, we've yet to get much on the requirement on Abraham and his descendants. What was their part of the handshake? Um, it appears that God's just going to let them be freeloaders. And isn't that awesome? Right? God's just going to give them the promises and they just get to hang out. Um, that's not the case. We see that change in chapter 17. If you're taking notes again, this is the promise delayed. The promise made. The promise delayed. Little acronym type rhymey stuff for you. All right. So what we need to acknowledge here is that from Genesis 12 to Genesis 17, okay, we flip maybe two to four pages. Uh, if you've got a you know a Bible on your phone, that's totally different. But Genesis 12 to Genesis 17, I flipped my Bible twice. Okay, so for me, I'm thinking not a lot of time has passed. But Genesis 12 begins with when Abram was uh, 75 years old, right? Look how Genesis 17 begins. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. So check that out, right? How many years have passed? Even if you're bad at math, you could ballpark this one. How many years have passed? Everybody's afraid. 24 years. I said 25 earlier. We'll talk about why here in a second. 24 years have passed. Okay, 24 years. And still the most basic part of the covenant... They still don't own the land. They still aren't an international blessing. And he hadn't even had a kid yet. <laughs> like, how, <clears throat> how, can, how, can, how can God be holding up his end of the bargain? Like, he, he seems like he's not. They still don't have a baby. Well, that's actually not true. Abram does have a baby with one of his maidservants. Uh, it's a creepy little way to have a kid when you couldn't, Okay. Praise God for modern science that we can take other routes instead of the way that Abram had to take. Um, but Abram, Abram he, 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 he actually has a baby with one of his wife's servants so that they can have a child. And of course, God says, no, that's not what I meant, you doofus. Um, that ain't what I meant. You will have a kid with your wife. Like, that's the promise. And so God... God, God sees that through, and we see God changes the name of, of Abram and Sarai. Sarai was his wife. I haven't mentioned her yet. But um, Abram, he changed his name to Abraham, which just changed it to mean father of many nations, father of, of many, father of multitudes, which is a bold statement for a dude who doesn't have a kid, right? Um, Sarai's name was changed to Sarah, and God say, which means like princess or queen, like royalty, 
And God said that kings of peoples would come from her. And still, no kid together. Um, I'm giving you names that sound like mom and dad, but still no names. And to this idea, when God begins to speak to this, um, begins to change their names, Abram falls face down in verse 17 of chapter 17. Listen to this. Abraham fell face down. And then he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? He's just questioning science at this point, right? I don't even think it's possible. So Abram said to God, If only Ishmael were acceptable to you, which this was uh, the child that he had with his uh, maidservant. But God said, No, dude. Your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. Now listen, this is a crazy story. But God goes on to say that by this time next year, she's going to be pregnant and she's going to give birth by this time next year. That's why we said 25 years at the very beginning in my introduction. Because um, she was, he was 100 and she was 90 by the time Isaac is born. So this intera- in this interaction also, God begins to provide Abraham with some, some terms of the covenant. He introduces Abraham to the idea of circumcision, right? Um, he says that every male adult and child in Abraham's future family, which again at this time is just like workers and stuff around him, will be circumcised. Now, a lot of thoughts gone into why that seems really creepy and weird. Um, and, uh, and it is. But what you got to recognize is in an ancient day, the people groups would set themselves apart. Like there would be oftentimes something physical. Uh, you even see it today in some, in some third world countries where, where there's a certain tattoo or there's a certain piercing or there's a certain thing that you do to say, I'm a part of this people group. Um, God's doing that. God's setting in the ancient world. God is setting his people up, the family of Abraham. He's setting them apart by marking their body um, in just a way, a way that makes us a little uncomfortable, okay? Um, but what we've got to recognize is that what God continues to say, he says it here, he's talking about multiplying. You're gonna, your family's going to multiply across the earth. Uh, the idea is just that your, your family's going to uh, procreate a lot, right? And so what better way to symbolize that than taking the knife to a part of the body that deals with that, right? Like this, this is a big, this is, that's what's going on here. We're bringing a knife to a particular part of the body and whatever the, so, so that's probably what's going on. Um, I'm through with talking about it now so y'all can get off the edge of your seat. Um, but whatever reason, this was God's way of setting them apart from those around them, okay? And it's not nearly as weird as you think it is uh, to the ancient cultures, Okay. But what we know is that when God left Abraham that day, now God told him to leave his family. You think, okay, that's a big deal. God called him, what else has he called him to? In 15, he didn't really call him anything there. But here what we see, okay, now he's saying, go be circumcised yourself and everybody who's with you who's a man. Surely Abraham's going to take a few days to pray about it, right? That's what I do. God, let me chew on that. Let's think about this. Very next verse. Well, verse 23. So Abraham took his son Ishmael and those born in his household or those who've been purchased. Every male among the members of his household, and he circumcised them on that day, just as God had said to him. Now, Abraham, Abraham here continues to be obedient to God. Like what God calls him to do, he's obedient in it. 
man, and this, this act of circumcision, God is, says is directly tied to the covenant, the, the agreement that you and I have. It's a symbol of, of Abraham's family and their obedience to God. The surgical procedure was not all that God was going to ask Abraham to do. In Genesis 22, we see the promise obeyed. Promise obeyed. I told you they all rhymed. Isn't that cute? The next year, Sarah gives birth just as God had promised. They named him Isaac just as God had told him to. And he was the promised one that they had waited on for 25 years. He had finally come. God had finally blessed them with a child. And then we get this in Genesis 22. After several years have passed. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham answered. Take your son, he said. Which son? Your only son, Isaac. Which one? Whom you love. Just to make sure we know we're talking about the right son. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. It's one of the creepiest sections of scripture because in the ancient world like child sacrifice was totally normal in a lot of in a lot of areas so abram abraham would have been familiar with child sacrifice by this point okay but he's a little probably weirded out that this god who's called him who seems loving and caring would call him to sacrifice several ancient pagan religions have included these acts of extreme devotion to their god but it's the only time in the bible if you're new to the bible don't worry, child sacrifice does not come up again. God doesn't ask it again, okay? That's good news, all right? But this is the only time we see Yahweh toying around with that. And can you imagine how crazy? The son that we've waited for for 25 years, you finally give him to us, and now you want me to sacrifice him. This would have shocked Abraham like it should you. But again, we see Abraham being obedient to God's call. Listen to the very next verse. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. I don't even, I don't get it. But clearly there's something else going on. There's something going on in the heart of Abraham He probably got up early because he didn't sleep any, just like you and I wouldn't. There's something to notice here. As the story goes on, uh, Isaac is not a baby. He actually talks to his dad as they're walking up the hill or the mountain to the place of sacrifice. He's talking to his dad. So we know he's at least that old. But he also reasons because the thing he asks his dad is, see the wood, that's good. You got the torch for the fire. I see that knife in your uh, hilt there. Um, I think we're missing an animal. That's what we're missing, right? So he's old enough to even reason. We know that. But he's also old enough to even carry the wood. The Bible, uh, the Bible tells us that, that Abraham laid the wood. He, he, he put the wood on. Isaac's the one that carried the wood up the mountain. Most scholars say between 8 and 12 years old. Just changes the perspective. We're not talking about a baby. We're talking about a kid. If you don't know the story, Abram goes as far as climbing up the mountain, laying the wood out, tying up his son, 
laying him on the wood that will eventually burn his body up. And he raises the knife in the air. And then God stops him. And he provides for him another sacrifice. Off to the side, there's a ram caught in the thickets. And God says, Abram, Abraham, you ain't playing. <laughs> I know that you really, truly are following me. Go kill the ram instead of your son. And so Abraham doesn't question that. <laughs> he hasn't questioned anything yet. He definitely ain't questioning that. Okay. And he unties his son. They kill the ram. And he and his son probably hold each other and cry for a long time as the ram burns up. As we look, listen, as we look at all these moments of obedience in Abraham's life, I'm just going to be straight. This is why I love preaching this way, okay? Oftentimes, I would preach four sermons through this story. We'd take Genesis 12, we'd preach a week. We'd do Genesis 15, we'd do Genesis 17, we'd do Genesis 22. But what you got to see today, and a little bit longer than I anticipated, you've gotten to see the whole story of Abraham. And here's what should stand out to you. When God says something for Abraham to do, no matter how crazy it sounds, what does Abraham do? He does it. Every time. And it seems to be pretty quickly. Okay? <clears throat> now, here's the deal. When I look at those, the first time, because I've, I've read and read and studied and preached on this and taught on this, all this stuff, but when you read it all together, the thing that stuck out to me is, dude, Abraham must be some sort of mindless drone. Right? Just like a robot. Whatever God says, that's what he does. That's what it can seem like. Almost as if God wants us as Christians to just give our brains and leave them on the table and then follow him. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. You'll never find that, that God wants us mindlessly following him. God does say leave, and Abraham does. He says circumcise, and he does. He says sacrifice, and he does. But God, there's something else going on here. And when you go all the way back to chapter 15, which I skipped intentionally so we can come back to it now, we catch a glimpse of a, such an important word for the rest of the Bible, especially what we know of as the New Testament. This is verse 5 of Genesis 15. God took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky, dude. Count the stars. You ever try to do that with your kids? It's fun if you got time. God doesn't give Abraham a lot of time. He says, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, that's how numerous your offspring will be. Okay. Next verse is so important. Verse 6. Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram was not righteous, which just means right. All like just total rightness, goodness. Abram wasn't that on his own, but he believed the Lord. Abraham's obedience to God in all these crazy ways was not mindless. He was not some emotionless drone doing what God wanted. He was a real human being with real emotions, a real dad who had waited 25 years for a son. He would have felt the emotion of that. But he believed God at the end of the day. He believed in the promise of God. He believed that God had plans to grow his family. They would produce a blessing to all nations. Abraham believed that God had a rescue plan for mankind, that we had messed it up in the beginning and had become separated from God, but that God had a plan to restore all that. 
And by His grace, He was going to use His family to do it. And Abram's, Abraham's obedience comes out of that. Abraham believed God, so he obeyed God. He had faith in God that led to works for God. That gets cleared up for us just to make sure you don't think I'm making it up. Hebrews 11, author of Hebrews tells us this, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. By faith, when he was called, he obeyed. It says again, um, and this is 8, 9, 10, um, or 9. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner there. Right? By faith, he did that. By faith, even Sarah herself received the power to conceive offspring. And then this, which I just love, verse 12. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, one man who was totally unable to give birth with a wife who, anyway, y'all know the story came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. He goes on to say in verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Right? To the one it had been said, your offspring will be traced. He knew this was the son of promise and he considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Right? Abram had such a belief in God that he knew this is crazy that I'm going to be sacrificing my own son, but God's big enough and he's got a plan. And it's strange and it's not meant to, the question on the table is not, are you willing to sacrifice your son for, that's not the, that's not the point of the text, okay? The point of the text is, do you trust in God above all things? Is everything else in your life, is it in perspective, is your faith in God the first thing when it comes to your decision making? Your relationship with God, what he's called you to do, is that the first thing you think about? Or do you think about family, relationships, creature comforts, first world probs? Like is that the, are those the things that influence your decisions more than the, the, the good news that God is redeeming a people? That's what we see Abram doing. Abraham, no matter what God called him to do, he was willing to do it not to earn God's favor, but because God had loved him and had shown grace to him and he had faith in God. Every work that God has called us to do in our lives is going to come out of faith. Romans 4 begins to help us see a great idea. Everything that was driving Abraham all along, it wasn't fear, it wasn't trying to earn something from God, it was faith. Abraham becomes not only the father of a great nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel still traces their lineage back through Abraham, but y'all, I'm not a Jew and I'm not an Israelite, but I am a son of Abraham. Because the Bible shows us that Abraham set before us the idea of what it looks like to trust in God. And because I too have trusted in God, I've, been, I've received the same promise that was given to Abraham. The story of, uh, of Abraham is about bringing a blessing to all nations. Jesus is that blessing. He was a son of Abraham who was late, who was, whose life was laid down so that we all, though we're not from Israel, we could be saved from the corruption of the world. 
I'm a child of Abraham because I believe in the same promise that God wanted to do that and he has. The story of Abraham is interwoven, I mean, not through every page of the rest, but kind of. Um, as you read the rest of the story, man, if you would spend just a little bit of time uh, reading this this week, uh, as you begin to read the rest of the Bible, you're going to see hyperlinks. That's a term you're going to hear me start to use a lot just in my sermons and stuff. But you know what a hyperlink is? You know the, the most reliable uh, uh, website? <laughs> Patrick knows what I'm going to say. Uh, you know Wikipedia, right? real reliable resource? Um, don't use that on your papers, kids. It's not a good idea. Um, but the cool thing about Wikipedia is you go to a Wikipedia page on uh, uh, R&B music, right? Well, what's it going to list there? It's going to list other types of music that R&B was birthed out of. And guess what you can do? You can click on that little blue underlined word, and it's going to carry you to another page. And then you're on that, and you can actually click a link that has a list of artists, whatever. And then you just keep clicking and linking and linking, and all, but everything's linked together. All of these hyperlinks connect all throughout the thing. That's the best way I can describe to you the Bible. As you read even the New Testament, which came thousands of years later, as you begin to read it, what you see are these little hyperlinks that are pointing you back to Abraham. They're pointing you back to the sacrifice of Isaac. They're pointing you back to the promise, the threefold promise of a big family and land and an international blessing. So we need to start noticing those hyperlinks. So I'd encourage you, read the Bible. The story of Abraham also gives us a really important foreshadowing. And I've already told you about um, the covenant ceremony, and there's others literally that are in my notes that I'm going to skip over because we could be here a long, long time. But maybe my favorite image from the story of Abraham is when he as a dad walks his son up a hill outside Jerusalem to be sacrificed. Now, when you read the rest of the Bible, that should click, right? When is the, when is the next time that we see a father, a weeping, grief-stricken father, allowing his son to be led up a hill outside Jerusalem to be killed. We see that in Jesus. We see that in Jesus. He's the son. And guess what he's got on his back? The wood, right? It's a cool image. He's got the wood on his back. For him, it's the cross. For Isaac, it was the wood for the burnt offering. But he's on his way. Except in this situation, he, he, he doesn't get away alive. There is no ram caught in the weeds. The son gives up his life. The Bible helps us see that in this death, God was accomplishing what he had promised to Abraham so long ago. That he was going to redeem a people, not just one ethnic people of Israel. He was going to redeem people from all nations. And you and I, praise God, get to fit into that all nations. Today, the same faith that Abraham had is available for you to have. Abraham, there was some, conver the first conversation God had with Abraham back in Genesis 12, something happened, something clicked, right? It didn't take, Abraham didn't have to convince, or God didn't have to convince Abraham to believe in him. There was something about that conversation that clicked. And Abram said, I don't know where you're going to call me to go. And I don't know what you're going to require of me, but I'm there. 
today, that's on the table for you. You may not know where God's calling you, where God may call you in the future, what God may call you to do. But we need to, like Abraham, come before him and say, I don't know where you want me to go, but I'm in. I'm there. I trust you more than I trust myself. Because Jesus died on the cross to redeem the relationship between God and man. And today, you can be saved from the corruption of this world. Come into a relationship with God that he intended from Genesis 1 before we messed it all up. There's a lot more to talk to you about. A lot, so just some basic things we would love to walk with you through. If you've never trusted in Jesus um, and given your life to him, we would love to help you see that today, how you can do that. Um, we're going to have a couple of counselors by the back door during this last song. Um, and man, they're just there. They're, they're not geniuses, right? Like they're just normal people, just like you. But God's changed their life and they want to help you learn how God can change yours. I'll also be down front to pray with you and talk with you if you need me. But I want to speak. So if, if you're not a Christian and you never trusted in Jesus, you'd like to, that's going to be available for you. But I just want to speak to those of, you, those of us that are Christians for just a second. And let me ask you a question. Are you, uh, this is what I've been wrestling with this week, okay? I know I trusted in Jesus when I was a kid and God gave me salvation. But what happens is over time, I begin to become a good professional Christian. Y'all, I'm a pastor. Some of y'all think I'm just like, I don't ever sin. I do. And I can get to a place where I can feel like I, or I've earned God's favor or something. Man, I, I've read my Bible every day this week. <laughs> How about that? Steve. Right? Like I can get to a place where I feel like God owes me something. I, I feel like I can get there. That's a bad place to be, church. You and I, though, no matter how faithful you've been, no matter how many people you shared your faith with, no matter how many times this week you've prayed and read your Bible, you are a filthy sinner, undeserving of the grace of God. Encouraging words. But it's true. Even as your pastor, I am undeserving of the grace that God has given me, but He's given it. And now what my call is not to try to earn anything else from God because He's already, he's already given me everything. My call is to live out of my faith, just like Abraham. Live out of the faith that already exists in my life. Live out of the promises that have already been confirmed. My a great quote, you can write this down, memorize it or whatever. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less if you are in Christ. If you're a Christian in the room, there is no amount of good deeds that are going to make God give you a bigger thumbs up. You've already got it. Stop trying to earn it. And live the way that God has called you to. If you need to deal with God during the invitation about any of that stuff, we'd love to talk to you about church membership, baptism, and we'll have our counselors by the back door to talk with you about any of that stuff. And I'll be down front too. Um, but I'm gonna, we're just going to stand after I pray. We're going to sing, and then you respond. However God leads, we're going to sing all the way through the song. I, after a little while, I'll sit back on the front row, but you can still come talk to me if you need to, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, that, that you have given us uh, grace. Um, God, I don't deserve it. I never have, never will. But God, you've given it to me. And God, I'm thankful uh, that I am a son of Abraham. God, I, I don't have the lineage, the physical lineage, but God, I've trusted and the same promises that Abraham trusted in. And I've experienced the same grace that Abraham experienced. 
God, I pray that over everybody here. God, if there's anybody here who's never trusted in you, that they would just have that conversation today. And God, see if it clicks. God, help us to be obedient to you, to love you with our whole heart. Pray for this invitation time, God, that you would just use us for your glory. God, speak to us and, and, uh, and help us to figure out what next steps we need to take this week uh, to live out of our faith. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.